Hello and welcome to the first episode from the Perth to Paisley podcast. That may be confusing for some people. You're on episode 46. What are you talking about? However, as you can see, this is not the Perth to Paisley podcast all about hearts. This is Perth to Paisley at the Euros. This is basically what we were speaking about last week. If you missed it or if you didn't know about us because you're not a hearts fan, totally understandable. We normally speak about Hearts and the fantastic football club that that is. However, starting in less than a week, mere days away, it is Euro 2020. And for the first time in our collective lifetimes, me and my podcast partner, Scotland will be there. So for the duration that Scotland are in this tournament, we will be speaking about it. And who is we? Well, to all new listeners, I am Daniel McIver. And I'm joined by my podcast co-host, Adam Kennedy. Adam, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Daniel. Yes, excited to be talking about Scotland. I think the uh, I think the Euro fever is beginning to, to kick in. So, yeah, very excited to see the tournament start. And it is mad to think that we'll finally get to see Scotland at a major tournament. Um, the last time, France 98, I was literally a newborn baby. Um, and my dad sat me down in front of Scotland-Brazil. Um, so it's going to be bizarre that I'll actually visualise a Scotland game at a major tournament and remember it. So what about yourself? I am in a very, very similar position. As Adam said, he was a very young baby. I was about one or just about one years old the last time John Collins stepped up to take that penalty against Brazil. Um, so yeah, it's been a long time coming for me and Adam. However, as we said, this is now going to be focusing on the Euros as a whole, but mainly focusing on Scotland. So this first episode, we're going to kind of discuss more our kind of experience with the international team. Uh, there's probably not going to be a lot of positives in that section. However, we will then move on to discussing the squad in general for the Euros. We will then talk about the kind of friendlies that we've had in the last couple of weeks. And then finally, give our predictions for the opening game against the Czech Republic. However, as I said, we will start kind of with a more overlook, an overview of how Scotland got here and our experience. So, Adam, I'm first going to go to you. So, as you said, you're like, this is actually coming out a couple of days before your birthday, or actually a day before your birthday as a 24-year-old. How has your experience of Scotland internationally been i'm only going to be 23 you're adding on a, another year there oh i keep forgetting you're so <laughs> young um, no i mean I, th- I think my my personal relationship with the national team um it's been a love hate um i think <laughs> listen it's it's similar to the club that we discuss every week isn't it so yeah um i don't know i'd i'd i've I've got a kind of theory when it comes to the Scotland national team and I don't know whether this is just total nonsense or whether you're going to be inclined to agree with this but I get the impression that it's much bigger within the west of Scotland and I don't know whether that's because Hamden's situated in Glasgow whether the most successful clubs are based in Glasgow you know Scotland as a footballing nation being one of the oldest in the world I can't think of any really off the top of my head that like any other footballing nation that doesn't have the national stadium in the capital city. Is there another? There's bound to oh be one, but God, you're putting me on the spot but, there. I've but, no clue. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. So no. I don't know. Do you get that same impression? I'll be honest. I've never thought of it like that. And I, I definitely don't think there's no point to what you're saying. I definitely think there is an element of it where it is like, oh yeah, on that side of the country is where the national team stuff happens. And as you said, it's not in the capital city. Um, and obviously, like, kind of, as you said, Rangers and Celtic being on that side, a lot of football fans kind of cater to that side. It is very interesting. I I just never have had, I'll be honest, right? And this is what I've had three people say to me so far, and this is probably going to happen more with this podcast. I have apparently been christened as international team glory hunter. 
if that is possible with Scotland, the glory of just qualifying. <laughs> um, but I've made it very clear throughout most of my life that I've never, ever taken an interest in the national team. Ever, really. Um, I have had two big moments. They're probably the two big moments that you've had as well, which is McFadden's goal in Paris. I remember that really vividly, watching that. And then I was actually at the last Scotland-England game where we drew two all with the two Griffiths free kicks. I was actually at that. And that was... Yeah, I, I was there. Yeah, that was that was an amazing day, obviously, up until Stuart Armstrong just doesn't clear a ball. But we won't focus on that. Confidence. Come on, Stuart, you've got to smash it this time. Believe in you. Um, yeah, I was there. But apart from that, I've just never showed interest. But I will be honest, when we it, there was a chance that we could actually qualify for a tournament i was like oh i'll take an interest now and people have now accused me of just being like you only care when scotland are doing well and you know what that is true and i'm fine with it that's what why about you, you though have you been a fan have you been a fan the whole way through i was gonna say that's why you haven't for large parts because it's been yeah. too hot to celebrate yeah. um exactly no I, 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 do you know i think it's i think it's fair to say that most folk of our generation that are sort of the more ardent Scotland fans remember, you know, numerous heartbreaking campaigns, but I think you've touched on it there, without doubt the one that stands out for me anyway um, was that Euro 2008 qualifying campaign, obviously Mm -hmm. the fact that Scotland can do France, you know, the previous World Cup runners-up both home and away 1-0 in both games I think us beating the French and then obviously going toe-to-toe with the reigning world champs Italy, both in the group, sort of shows the magnitude of not only the Scotland team around that time, but definitely the, the opponents in the group. The The James McFadden goal just hits home for so many, doesn't it? And the, the commentary that came with it, the kind of pick-it-out Landro, that, yeah. that clip. I don't, know, I don't know whether you were sort of of that same ilk, but... When you're that bit younger, and obviously there was no touchscreen phones, did you get that sent on like Bluetooth, and then it was everybody's ringtone, or was that yeah, just, was just me? It was everybody's ringtone. I don't think I ever got sent on uh, Bluetooth, but I definitely remember it being folks' ringtone. So somebody sent the audio file anyway. Um, but that that campaign just summed up sort of being a Scotland fan for me. It's, yeah. it's kind of, it's classic Scotland in that we beat the French 1-0 in both games, like I say, but then you lose away to Ukraine, to Georgia, even scraping past Georgia at Hamden in the, in yeah. the first fixture. So, yeah, that, that's definitely the one that sticks out in my memory and obviously we've touched on the fact that we are a predominantly Heart and Midlothian-focused podcast. A large part of that for me was seeing the Rickerton 3 sort of at the heart of it. Um mm-hmm. Paul Hartley's corner for Gary Caldwell um, in particular against the French is, is a highlight in that sense, I guess you could say. Um, and obviously the Craig Gordon praise from Gianluigi Buffon, who mm-hmm. you know is, is one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time. Um, so I think that speaks volumes about how decent a Hearts team it was back then and more so how decent a Scotland side it was. I think it says a lot as well that even with that Scotland side, we just, bluntly, and this isn't to take away from any of their individual efforts. We did nothing with it, like it just no. nothing came of it. And I think it's very similar, but just in a slightly lower version to the kind of golden generation of England when um, Steve McLaren was their manager, where it was like they had Lampard, Gerrard, Scholes, Beckham, Ferdinand, and stuff like that, and they just didn't they. Yeah, they qualified because, of course, England are going to qualify, but they didn't. Well, they get missed the out on Euro two thousand and eight, didn't they? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Was it? Was they it just. Yeah, I think it was, but it yeah, was kind of like was. that for us. Like, oh, we've actually got a good team here, and we've beaten the biggest team in the group, and then we just stutter away, and of course, that would then lead on for years and years and years and years. I remember the Spain game as well. The three two. The three two with Laurenti oh. scored, that really sticks out in my mind as well. Um, but then, kind of in the last few years, I really remember the Maloney goal from the corner. 
Yeah, I really it's remember uh, that. Parkhead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's stuff like that. There's, there's been in the there's last few years. There's a couple iconic goals, but nothing yeah. to really write home about, is there? Exactly. The Griffiths two free kicks comes under that kind of time period as well. But exactly, we've never, we've never done anything in terms of getting somewhere. We have moments like the McFadden goal, the Maloney goal, the two Griffiths free kicks. But that's all we can hold on to until the Marshall save, which is, I guess, the iconic moment. But that whole campaign um, we don't just get to the Euros because Marshall saved a penalty we had to get to get to, we had to get to the penalties basically um, playing Israel a hundred times it felt like and just a team finally that when you actually look at it has a lot of players it's kind of snuck up on us really because for so long, a lot of the Scotland team was just made up of Rangers and Celtic players. That was it, as you said. The Rickett and Three broke in as well. But then, obviously, Hartley, Presley and Gordon all went to Celtic. But now, it's a, it's a real, real mix of both players playing domestically in terms of Scotland and then also players playing down in England. Several of them playing at the biggest clubs including our captain obviously that we will get into soon but it genuinely does feel that not that this team could do something in terms of no one is suggest. I mean everybody in Scotland suggesting we're going to win it but I've put a bet on but no one no one's actually what they mean is we could actually go here and give a good account of ourselves Definitely, and, and when was the last time that we could confidently say that that were the case? Um, I think we're sort of like, we're, we're something of a, a footballing nation that's a, a bit of a wounded animal, I think, having missed out on so long. So I don't think we can be treated all that lightly. Um, and that's one annoyance that I've got in terms of sort of English media outlets already... <laughs> you know, jumping down our throat and slating us whenever they can. Um, but I, I think we've got reason to be encouraged, certainly not just with the friendlies, but obviously our, our recent form. And like you say, a variety of different players. We've sort of found that system that works. Um, and I th- I, listen, I think we've got reason to be encouraged. Why not? Well, we will now get into the squad as we have kind of hinted at some of them. This won't be an analysis of every single player in the squad because, honestly, I think the majority of the squad everybody accepts. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say so. Certainly the, the vast majority of it, yeah. Yeah, but there are definitely some individuals that perhaps were omitted or have gone that we might disagree with. However, I will very quickly run through. So the goalkeepers... Uh, the first, uh, I will say this, it was very cool that for the first time in my lifetime, basically, I know that me and Adam were technically alive in Euro 98, but we have no memories of it. Like, we were fucking nearly one and just, we were both like nearly one. Like, it's... it's I was literally days old at the World yeah, Cup exactly, in Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, it's very cool that the first two of them in our lives, the first name in the squad list is a heart player. What a guy, what a man. So, of course, Craig Gordon, the hero David Marshall, and former Hearts player as well, John McLaughlin, make up the goalkeepers. The defenders are Liam Cooper, Declan Gallagher, Grant Hanley, Jack Hendry, Scott McKenna, Stephen O'Donnell, Nathan Patterson, Andy Robertson, the captain, Craig Taylor, and Kieran Tierney. The midfielders are Stuart Armstrong, Ryan Christie, John Fleck, Billy Gilmore, John McGinn, Cal McGregor, Scott McTominay, and David Turnbull. And then finally, the forwards are newly chosen to represent Scotland, Shea Adams, then the Australian, Lyndon Dykes, James Forrest, Ryan Fraser, and closing out the Scotland squad, keeping it in Edinburgh, Hibernians, Kevin Nisbet. Now, first of all, before we speak about players who aren't in it, who are players that you feel, you just look at that team sheet and go, they can win us games, or they could be incredibly influential, or they could get us something um, I would definitely say that obviously Andy Robertson being skipper has that capability and I know that there's been lots of criticism in terms of he can't play for Scotland how he does for Liverpool um, 
I, I still believe that there's more to come from Andy Robertson in a Scotland shirt. I think Kieran Tierney is probably our best defender. Um, mm-hmm. I would say in midfield, there's a couple match winners in there. John McGinn for me is always always seems to be a good goal scorer shout, doesn't he? Um, Especially under Steve Clark. Yeah, definitely. I, I think he probably is Scotland's top scorer under Steve. I Clark. think he is. I um, think he is. Yeah. So, yeah, John McGinn, for me, top player. Uh, Scott McTominay, I think, with the versatility, both in midfield and at the back. Um, I personally quite like him at the back, but I know there's a, a vast majority of people seem to prefer him in midfield. Listen, Billy Gilmore the other day, unbelievable. Um, yeah. And up top, how bizarre is it that we're dependent upon an Australian and an Englishman to, to partner <laughs> for, for Scotland? So, um what I also will say is that I know Ryan Christie's come under a lot of criticism um, for, obviously, the season that he's had at Celtic, but I don't think that seems to phase him when he pulls on a Scotland shirt, which is remarkable. So I don't know whether that's just because he knows that the cameras are on him and he's perhaps playing for that move or whatever. But, yeah, I, I, listen, I, I think we do have an array of match winners. And when was the last time that you could ever say that about a Scotland squad? Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I think also, again, just the bias. I think, personally, Craig Gordon should be our starting goalkeeper. And I know everyone will say, you're saying that because you're a Hearts fan, you're a Hearts podcast, stuff like that. However, genuinely, I do think he is the best goalkeeper we have. I think we saw in the World Cup qualifiers and the two that he didn't play, there was a couple of goals, never mind chances, that the opposition had. Goals scored that I just went... Craig Gordon saves that. Craig Gordon saves that. And then, of course, in the only World Cup qualifier he played, I know it was against the Faroe Islands, but he did keep the only clean sheet. I do think he is just better than David Marshall. I do think he could win his games. You said you think Keenan Tierney is the best defender. I think he is our best player. Just full stop. Wow, Um, big shout. I just think, especially now that he seems to have... I mean, again, at the end of this, we're going to give predictions and lineups for the opening game but I think in that left centre back role he's just become the best overlapping centre half in the world <laughs> how mad a sentence is that what I will say about Tierney is he's Arsenal's best player whenever I watch them yep. 100% yep. absolutely and I think that is probably why they had the season they had because they relied <laughs> so heavily on a young left back who was injured for half of it Um but I, I definitely agree with you with Scott McTominay in terms of his ability. I'll be, I will completely hold my hands up. I was one of those people who didn't think he was going to do as well for us. I will just say that I was like, he's not at the level that in terms two of, of us. Yeah, exactly. Listen, I, I, I think I lots of folk wrote him off. Yeah, didn't they? yeah. And I don't know whether I, that's because they see the allure of him playing for Manchester United and they automatically assume that he's meant to be, you know. Dan and Fletcher 2.0 or genuinely world class <laughs> or there is the potential the other way where Man United have been struggling recently and people look at him and go he's in that team every week so he must not be that good and he won't do a job for us yeah it's a fair point but no I think both can what well, I think both arguments can be used I know people going he should be our best player he's playing for Man United and stuff like that whereas other people go and this was kind of my stance was going, my United in recent years have been pretty poor and he's been in the heart of that midfield. But he's come on and done really, really well. Billy Gilmore is just different class, despite his age. It's terrifying how good he is. And it is one of those players where it's like, how have we got him? <laughs> I know you what you mean. I mean? It, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, a, I don't know. I, 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 for me, it's sort of more, how did... Chelsea, because obviously everybody knew that he was hotly tipped and whatever, but ha- and it's no listen five hundred grand or whatever they paid is hardly big dough. But how have Chelsea sort of hit the jackpot with with somebody like that? And I know that he broke through Rangers. Rangers were under no real need to sell, were they? So yeah, it just it, it is incredible to obviously now see him in that environment in a world class team down there. Um, and listen, he's been he's been given minutes and with every reason because he doesn't look out of place. Definitely, definitely not. And then, as you said, Dykes came in to that Euro kind of qualification campaign and it was like, oh, we've actually got a striker now. There's a focal point to play off a proper number nine and 
in fairness to him, in recent games, he's not been as good. Um, but in that Eurocoffer, it was just, we have a striker who we can play a ball up to. It can stick. His hold-up play is very good. His running behinds are great. And then we, of course, now have the Englishman, Shea Adams, who has hit the ground running, got two goals in his last couple of games. He, he just, I mean, obviously everybody knows about Shea Adams. He's been at Southampton for however long, doing it consistently in the Premiership. I, get, I will be honest, I think Kevin Nisbet could be a really big player for us in this tournament if he's given the opportunity. Obviously, my bias is that, oh, I don't want him to do well at club level, but because of how well he's doing at club level, it gives me optimism for the national team and... Well, in a minute, we'll go on to speak about the friendlies performances. He played very well against Holland. I'm glad um, you said all of this, can I just say? Because <laughs> I agree. So, uh, listen, I, I think there's more to come from Kevin Nisbet. And I'm I'm very impressed with the way that he's managed to sort of put that disappointment of not leaving Hibs behind him. I think he was mm-hmm. really angling for that Birmingham move, wasn't he, back in January? Yeah. So, I, I actually think that he's bound for Celtic. And I wouldn't be surprised to see... Lee Griffiths come the other direction. I think it'll be a cash plus Griffiths deal. There you go. Interesting. Big bold transfer claims in this out of nowhere. Um, we will, however, there is something and someone in particular I want to mention because we've spoken there about individual players. I think the big player that is missing from this team, and it's not a new opinion, it's kind of the prevailing opinion, is... I don't know what more Ryan Gold could have done to get a call-up. I wholeheartedly agree. When I see sort of the stats for Ferenci over in Portugal, um, I think the main one for me is the fact that they'd have they'd have been down had it not been for him pretty much with his, his goal contributions. Um, and you see clips and he just looks to have matured into a fine player over there. So, no, I... I I, I would go along with that. Um, I don't know whether sort of Steve Clark's content with the the array of forwards that he's got to choose from because I'd imagine that he sort of plays that Christie role, doesn't he? And he's not a recognised centre forward, but he's up there to kind of support Dykes or or Adams, depending on who he who he goes for. So I I don't know. I I, I would have liked to have seen him, particularly when I heard Steve Clark talking about how he was sort of. He basically hinted, didn't he, when we were allocated the extra three spots that they would be yeah. sort of young guys or players yet to yet to register a cap. Which, so. in fairness, all three of them were. Of course. Nathan Patterson, David Turnbull and Billy Gilmore. Of course, but then I think when we look at sort of Kenny McLean's withdrawal, the fact that he's then not yeah. considered... I know that they're sort of different players and that McLean's probably more of an eight as opposed to a ten, but I, I, I still would have liked to have seen gold in there and... If I'm entirely honest, do we really need three goalkeepers for a tournament squad? That's the big one for me. So a lot of people were saying, like, um, how is John Flecken as opposed to him? It's like, well, they're not the same players at all. I know they're both midfielders, but John Fleck's a sitting and wrangle to the flair um, player. But I know how people go, well, they're a midfielder. But yeah, I could not agree more. Listen, I love John McLaughlin. I love what he did for us at club level, but and and that's not a slight on him. I don't think he doesn't deserve to go to the tournament. It's just that I totally agree. I don't think you need three. No, um, I, I I I I never get that, and I know that they'll say, sort of, if a keeper, it's rare that a keeper gets injured. Does a keeper then have to be on the bench? Is that why we need three? I I don't know. I mean, we're saying this before that both Craig Gordon and David Marshall both break their arms in the opening two games <laughs> and against Croatia, John McLaughlin has to play. Um, but yeah, listen, Ryan Gold will feel gutted. I hope if we do qualify for the World Cup that he's... I mean, you have to think he was at least considered, but I, I really hope he is. Listen, I've made it very clear that uh, Newcastle are my English team if I have one. I don't think we should have taken Fraser. I'll be totally honest. I know he's done well under Steve Clark, but he I just don't think he's fit properly, like 100% fit. And again, I know Fraser's in the forward section and stuff like that, but I would be fine with Adams, Dykes, Forrest and Nisbet and then one extra midfielder. 
Would you not even be inclined to sort of take Ryan Fraser as a kind of impact sub? Because when I look at it, I know that there will be concerns around fitness like, like you touched on there, but I actually quite like the idea of him and James Forrest coming off the bench, running at tired legs as just, you know, two potential attacking changes. Or are you still sort of against that idea? No, I definitely get And I'm not annoyed that Fraser's in. I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fine with him being in generally. But if someone said to me, you can either take Ryan Fraser or Ryan Gold, I would take Gold. I'm not like... Fraser isn't one of those players that if I could, I'd remove. It would only be if it was if you had to remove Fraser for Gold, then I'd do it. That's fair. But, as we said, Gold isn't in the squad. This is the squad we've had. And, in the past kind of uh, few days as we're recording this, we've played two friendlies. And, unbelievably, again, kind of just keeping this confidence bus going, we're unbeaten. And, arguably, should have won both. But we'll get into that. Um, we played the Dutch Frank de Boer side who oh it was definitely a Frank de Boer side uh, as Holland uh, kind of nicked a two-all draw from us in Holland and then we played Luxembourg and we won 1-0 it was 1-0 going on 9-0 <laughs> with the way we played however before we kind of get into the individual games how did you feel the games generally went the two involved um I would say that the one against the Netherlands was somewhat inspiring, to be honest. I, I, I was encouraged to see us sort of pop it about a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Um, two great goals. I think Jack Henry's strike certainly was unexpected. It um, caught I, him off guard, I think. I certainly didn't, didn't believe that he had that in the locker. Um, and then you alluded to him earlier, Kevin Nisbet off the bench, I thought was a great finish. Um, <laughs> and... I sort of touched it on it with the the squad selection. I think that that perfectly encapsulates Andy Robertson's game in that I know Nisbet obviously has to peel off his man and be there at the back stick, but the overlap from Robertson ultimately and delivery is what makes the goal. So An 80-yard dash, basically. Oh, it was crazy, mate. Um, so no, I think... I think we've definitely got reason to be encouraged. I think the stat that was being bandied about was two defeats in 16 games um, after the, the Christ, Luxembourg is it friendly. That really? Yeah. I didn't that, know it was that. I th- I'm pretty sure I heard that on Sports Sound. So I, t- I know that some will obviously be underwhelmed by the Luxembourg result, but I think both performances were good and we, we could have and should have had a few more um, against them. But against the Dutch, I, I think the fact that we're disappointed with a draw speaks volumes about where we've come from and you certainly wouldn't have been saying that about Scotland, what 18 months ago? We'd have probably been delighted with a a draw against the Dutch so, yeah disappointed that we didn't hold on for the win and it probably should have been two from two like you you say Absolutely, Um, the Holland game is the one I kind of want to focus on more just because of the quality or the perceived quality of the opposition and the result Um, of course, as we just said, Jack Hendry, um, kind of, as we also said, very unexpectedly, with a very, very good finish, put us ahead. However, almost immediately, uh, Memphis Depay, the man reportedly bound for Barcelona, um, equalised. And then that insane run from Robertson, played in Nisbet, who had only been on the park for like 46 seconds or something like that, um, at the back post, put a 2 1 up. And then, right at the end, Depay, Scott McKenna twice had instances with Depay where he touched Depay and Depay fell down. And that second one led to a free kick. Absolutely baffling. I think it was Henry on Depay for the second one, mate. Oh, was it? I oh, think, well, it was I just Depay so. diving against everybody then. <laughs> Conning all, all the centre-halves. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, Depay, in fairness to him, it's a fantastic free kick. Like, there's nothing Gordon or the wall can do about it. It does finish to all. But exactly as you said, and I know I saw a lot of people going, well, listen, it is just a Frank de Boer side. It's like, yeah, listen, I know he's like one of the worst managers ever. And I don't understand how, I mean, I do understand how he's at that level. It's because who he is. But they still do have Memphis Depay, Genie Wijnaldum, Dumfries, who's doing incredible at Ajax. Tim Crow was in goals for them. Uh, Delict, De Jong like they have world class talent in their ranks and I'll be honest and this might be 
too confident in just me being like, we're going to win everything. I think we made them look by average. No, I'd, I'd probably go along with that. Um, like I say, re- reason to be encouraged, 100%. Um, I know that they were missing, obviously, Virgil van Dijk as well. I think, for me, he's probably the best centre-half in the world, so anybody's mm-hmm. going to miss him. Um, of course, but we were missing six players due to the... No, of course, with with COVID. And when you, when you break it down... The perceived stronger team was against Luxembourg, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, it the fact that it's... I don't want to sound too harsh here, but the fact that it's, in essence, the backup brigade to hold the Dutch. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm pleased. I, I could only extract positives from it, to be honest. Definitely, definitely. And then a few days later, as we said, we did play Luxembourg in Luxembourg. Che Adams gets his second goal, I think it is, for us so far. Uh teaming up very well with Lyndon Dykes to get a nice wee assist. Then, like five minutes later, Selaminovic, I want to say. I don't know if that's right. I apologise to our one Luxembourg viewer there. Uh, gets a straight red. And the game kind of changes there. We end up having the majority of the ball. We had nearly 60% possession. We had 18 shots. However, the big damning stat of it is only six on target. Yeah, so a third of all shots on target. And the shots that, many of them that were off target, were absolute sitters. Che Adams obviously has the ball in the back of the net for two, but it's pulled back for a very light shove, or perceived shove on the back. Scott McTominay misses a massive sitter. Dykes misses two. Shea misses another one. It could have been four or five. But for me, weirdly, I kind of want to focus on Nathan Patterson as... Stephen O'Donnell started the game, as you said, it was the perceived kind of starting 11. And I thought we were fine. But then, Nathan Patterson comes on around the 68th minute or something like that. And I just felt we looked like a different team. The ball started to come down his side every single time. He almost always managed to get a cross in or make a pass. And I just and then obviously you pair that with Billy Gilmore, who took a really, really bad challenge. The guy had been on the park for nine seconds, and I don't know how he didn't just march straight back off it uh, as he just jumps shoulder first into Billy Gilmore's head. Um, Billy Gilmore obviously did have to come off. However, Steve Clark has said, and I quote, he's fine, he's from our drossing, he's hard. <laughs> um, so... By all accounts, Billy Gilmore was all right. But Gilmore and Patterson, particularly, for me, were the standouts with that friendly. And do you think that's just because they've, they're, or they're using it as kind of a, a platform to impress? Or what do you think that's down to? Because I, I, I agree. I think it's sort of this... I think we're trying to find the perfect blend of kind of youth and experience, aren't we? And it, yeah. It, it's something fresh. I just think when I look at it, the Luxembourg game, yeah, we could have had a couple more, um, but for me, it probably is the the teens are the talking point, um, and both seem to be, you know, very, very much beyond their years. Um, I don't know whether the whole Nathan Patterson um, outlet that he provides is down to studying James Tavernier's game per se, or maybe I, I, I don't I don't know where that's come from, but I think if you're looking at sort of attacking marauding fullbacks James Tavernier you certainly can't find a better tutor in Scotland for me so I don't know and obviously Billy Gilmore surrounded by that world class talent you know it's it's true in what they say in that you play with better players you become a better player isn't it so yeah both both are certainly top talents um, that we've got to nurture correctly hopefully absolutely but again it's it's just kind of this general feel around Scotland just now that here's another situation. I can't remember the last time we felt like this with there's actually selection headaches for a lot of positions. Definitely. Definitely. And I, I don't know where the biggest one comes. It probably is in midfield, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think Billy Gilmore certainly seems to have... He's got the nation talking about him, doesn't he? Um, and there's lots being made of Callum McGregor and him constantly playing games. I think there's nobody that's played more in Europe over the past three seasons, I think, than Callum McGregor. That's that's a bizarre stat. But And he also 
I, I'm not trying to be harsh on the guy, but I thought he was our weakest player in both games as well. And again, I'm not saying that as a discount to his talent. I think he's just knackered. Oh, he's, he definitely has that little jaded look about him, doesn't he? Um, so, be interested to see what happens come tournament time, whether Steve Clark opts for Callum McGregor just with that little bit extra experience or sort of the... I don't want to say the poster boy, but he's vastly becoming the new sort of poster boy, Billy Gilmore, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. However, we will move on now to the opening game. It is literally days away as we record this. It's um, less than a week. And then when it comes out, it's, of course, less than a week. We're playing the Czech Republic on Monday, the 14th of June. It's a two o'clock kickoff, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yes, it is. Two o'clock kickoff. And then the other two games are eight o'clock kickoffs. Obviously, the Euros start this Friday. 14th of June but then we don't play it until the Monday so listen we have previously played against the Czechs we've beaten them we've drawn and we've lost so that's great um, I before we get into our actual teams what what are you expecting from this game are you expecting it to be really open just a team who is delighted to be there and just wants to play great football and Czechs kind of doing the same, or do you think it could be quite jaded in traditional Scottish football fashion of being like defensive and then we push? What do you think? I definitely don't think it'll be open. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be tense. I sort of get the impression that we might get off to a bit of a nervous start. Um, <laughs> what makes? I wonder what makes you say that. But obviously, that's just you know due to the the lack of tournament time, if you will. Um, I, I, I don't know what to expect because when I'm looking at it, this is the one that we have to win. So yeah, it's, it's, I, 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 honestly, I would dread to be Steve Clark in this situation. Obviously delighted that, you know, you're leading out Scotland, the first man since Craig Brown to do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself must just be a, an unbelievable feeling. But... I mean, the game plan's all on him, isn't it? So what what on earth do you opt for? I think for me, it'll probably be a case of keeping it tight first half. Um, I feel as though the Czechs... I'm worried about big Suchek. Um, He's the big one. At, at set pieces, I, I really am. I think when I look at it, obviously, even the, if you take it back to the Serbia game, you know, Serbia, we shut them out for a good... 89 minutes and then all it takes is a corner and Jovic nods in um, I we just can't allow sort of that switch off for a second so Suchek scares me in particular um, but we certainly have players to, to damage them without a doubt so I'd probably be a keep it tight first half and then perhaps just go for it as though we've got nothing to lose because we don't have anything to lose ultimately what, what are we there for we're there to have some fun, but nobody's expecting anything to come of us from this tournament, so let's show what we can do. I basically agree. I I just think it's going to be 90 minutes of... Torture. Like, tor- yeah, that's the only way to get it, because as you said, this is the game we need to win. Because let's be honest, we're probably not going to get any points at the other two. Um, I, so, I think it'll be 9 from 9, mate. What are you, what are you on about? Do you? <laughs> do you? Don't say this. Don't say this. Um, it's it is the biggest game, and I feel like that could either be a blessing or a curse. That could either be a blessing because they immediately know that they have to be on it from there. I know you have to be on it when you're in an international tournament anyway, but it is the game that people are going. If we want to do anything here, we need to take points for that. Or it could be a curse because a team that has almost no tournament experience and by almost I mean zero they're going to be worried and nervous and scared and they maybe wanted a game where kind of the pressure's almost off again I know that's weird to say in an international tournament with pressures on every game but maybe the England game would have been better first and it's just kind of like that celebration of just we're actually here yeah we might get beat and then we've got two the two more winnable games second if you know what I mean Listen, I think it's imperative that we get off to a good start. But again, I I, I sort of hear what you're saying. It's a it, it's a tricky one because 
if if we got the trickiest fixture out of the way first, then there's not nearly as much pressure on us to grab a result in the following two. True. Which I don't know if that's a blessing or not. A curse. Yeah. I, I don't know. We, listen, we've got we've got to prove what we're capable of, and the Czech Republic game we simply have to win. So we can get caught up in the celebration, the fact that we're there, the pressure, you know, all eyes on us, etc. But we've just got to make it count. And I'm somewhat delighted that we didn't take our chances against Luxembourg because that's <laughs> that's a game that we can afford not to take our chances in, if you get what I mean. What if they've now got into the habit, though, of doing that? Oh, please don't. <laughs> I would well, ha- I would happily settle for a one 0 win against Luxembourg if it meant that we grabbed a win over the Czechs by the exact same scoreline, even oh, if we get absolutely. absolutely battered. So yeah, of course. It, That's the thing. I've seen some people say, "Oh, performance is as important as results." No, it fucking isn't. Not I come tournament time. No yeah. way. Do not care if we go down in history as one of the worst performing sides in terms of performance. If we actually do something, I'll be like, yep, we can have 3% possession in every game and then nick every game 1-0. Literally, I'll be laughing. The, the last Euros is the prime example of it. Portugal didn't win a game in 90 minutes, yet they won yeah. the entire tournament. Yeah. So, you know, knockout football, that's, that's what we're basing this on. It's not... It doesn't always... What am I trying to say here? It's not always the hot favourites that come out on top because how many times have you seen it where sides will have the best defensive record in a tournament mm-hmm. and then they're eliminated by a sole goal? You know, yeah. it's it all depends on just that day, these fixtures. So hopefully we take the Czech game by the scruff of the neck and claim what could be a massive three points first and foremost. Well, I want to get your line-up because... I've got two in my head, one I'd like and one I think we'll play. But I want to hear yours first. As in what I'd like or what I think you'll go with? Oh no, I mean, sorry. I mean, I have an idea of what team I'd like, but then I also have an idea on what I think Steve of what he actually thinks. play. Right, okay. You don't need to do both of them if you want. Just tell me what you want us to play. If you're Steve Clark, if Adam Kennedy... Is walking us out. God forbid. How, oh, no, we wouldn't be here. Let's be honest, we wouldn't be here. But in this insane rhetorical situation, how are we lining up? So my Scotland team would be Craig Gorning goal. You're biased. I, I just believe he's a better goalkeeper than David Marshall. <laughs> and, and I think David Marshall, you know, did he even play for Derby towards the latter end of the season? That oh, God, I've no Derby idea. Derby that literally stayed up by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, I've no idea. Um, so, CG and goal. Back five, because obviously we're going to stick with this system. I I would go for O'Donnell for experience, but I do like Nathan Patterson. I'd go Liam Cooper, Kieran Tierney on the other side. I don't know who I'm playing in the middle, because I do like Scott McTominay at the back. But I'm probably going to opt for him in midfield. I'll go Declan Gallagher. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Declan Gallagher. So, Gordon and goal, back five of uh, O'Donnell, Cooper, Gallagher, Tierney, and Robertson. Midfield trio of McGinn, McTominay, and I'd chuck in Gilmore personally. Mm-hmm. And I'd go Adams and Dykes up front, but he won't. I think he'll go Christie in support of Dykes. Uh, I think he'll chuck in McGregor as opposed to Gilmore. He's obviously going to start David Marshall. But I'll be interested to see what he does with the defence as well. So, we we have very similar teams in both what we want and what we think Clark will play. So, I also would have Gordon. I'll go left to right. Robertson, Tierney. I probably also would play Gallagher. Um, just in the middle. I'd, I'm torn between Liam Cooper and Jack, and Jack Hendry. Hendry. Yeah. That's fair. But I'd start Nathan Patterson. Would you? And I don't know if that's too inexperienced that right hand side. Wow. That's a big that's a big call. I know, I know. But I just think Patterson has looked better. I like Stephen O'Donnell. 
I like him. So do I. And I, I think Clark will go with O'Donnell. Yes. But I, I, I get your logic there. Fuck it, it's my team. I'll go Jack Hendry and Nathan Patterson. Then I'd go a two of McGinnis McTominay, Gilmore in a ten behind Dykes and Adams. You think that silence is terrible? No, I just I'm intrigued that you're chucking Gilmore as a ten. Is he not more of a sitter? Yes, but I like the idea of him running around about Suchek, just winding him up. Interesting. I, I, I'd be more inclined to let John McGinn do that. But see, just that's the added thing. goal threat as well, but obviously yeah. it's your team. But I'm torn between McGinn and Gilmore if I'm playing a 10 in a 10. However, I could then just go with a 3. Like the flat 3 and allow Gilmore to sit more, McGinn to push forward more, and McTominay to be the central one. That's interesting that neither of us have gone for Christie as a 10 as well, because he... I know. He comes under a lot of criticism, but one thing I will say about Ryan Christie, if he's interested, he, he runs his socks off. Definitely. I think the worry, it's just that I want to start Adams and Dykes, and I want Gilmore so to start I. as well. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, however, similar to you, I think the team that will actually play is almost identical to the one that we played against Luxembourg. I think it will be Marshall, Robertson, Tierney, Gallagher, Hanley... O'Donnell, McGregor, McTominay, McGinn, and then Christian behind Dykes. So it's like a five. Did you say Hanley or Hendry? Hanley. I think Hanley will start. Do you? I don't want him to. I didn't want him going. I know Norwich have done very well. Well done. But listen, as I said earlier, Newcastle are my English team. I have nightmares thinking about Grant Hanley. Right. I don't want him starting, but I think he will start. And as I said, I don't think they'll go with a two, which I know sounds weird. I know you've also said it as well. that Because for for like all the World Cup qualifiers when Adams arrived and these friendlies, we've always went with a two. But I think he'll be more defensive. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think he likes sort of Ryan Christie being in, in and around that area, doesn't he? Yeah. Which again is surprising that we've not neither of us have selected him. So... Adams and Dykes just sort of screams all out though doesn't it I think that's what mm-hmm. we're both kind of craving I think he also could play Stuart Armstrong in a 10 and this this is a point I'm glad you brought up because I, I was pleased to see Dykes and Adams link up against Luxembourg but I'm surprised that we've not seen more of Stuart Armstrong and Che Adams well that that is my reasoning yeah, in tandem given obviously clear. both at Southampton but we're sort of yet to see the best of that potential partnership come to the floor so that's why I was almost going to go with McGinn and McTominay and then a 10 of Armstrong and Adams and Dykes yeah, I like the sound of that I wouldn't be opposed to that either listen we could do this all day in, in terms of yeah. potential 11s it's Which, just like so weird say, that we can do that. Yeah, it is bizarre that we're actually now having positive selection headaches. And then, as you said, out of players we haven't even included, you have Ryan Christie, David Turnbull, James Forrest, all to come off the bench. I'm a big fan of David Turnbull's, folk. can I just say. Yeah. I mean, ever since, again, going back to obviously being a Hearts fan, when I saw David Turnbull in a Youth Cup final against Hearts, tear us to shreds I thought Jesus that that boy's good and then he sort of had that spell where he and uh, Jake Hasty broke into the Motherwell team and yeah what I mean what a player I think he's his call-ups been long overdue for me so I'm I'm pleased that he's finally getting that that recognition um because he's I mean I, I can recall even writing an article on him when he first came through at Motherwell sort of a top 10 teenage talents of the the Scottish Premiership and yeah baller it's it's going to be very very exciting. Can I trouble you for a score prediction? Oh, you can. Oh, I'll say that Scotland will win by a sole goal because I do believe it will be tight and tense. But I'm really struggling for the scoreline because we have to get that first goal. But it's if they peg us back or not, I don't know. <laughs> I'll say two one. Oh. And you, Bold. Are you wanting goal scorers as well? I go for it. I'll say Ryan Christie. Um, 
Big... <laughs> the man that neither of us have no, but start. no, but I think I think Steve Clark will start him. Yeah, I think I think he'll start Christian Dyke. So I'll say we'll both score, and it'll be big Suchek for the checks. There you go. I am going to go with a, as usual Scottish pessimism one all draw with John McGinn scoring and from a corner in the 68th minute Suchek equalising oh so you think we'll take the lead That's yes I do five minutes in <laughs> no I don't I don't think that no but I do think we'll go ahead and then I think we'll go ahead in the first half be buzzing, get into half time, buzzing, and then about twenty minutes after half time, after the second half starts, equalise, and then the game yeah. just peters out. That sounds like Scotland. Yes, exactly. It maybe doesn't sound like the Scotland under Steve Clark though, which is the big question. Hopefully not. Well, we will just have to wait and see. But massive thank you for listening to our debut episode of Perth Paisley at the Euros. As we said. As long as Scotland are playing games at the Euros, we will have episodes. There will be a minimum of four episodes, of course, including this one. If the, Hopefully there will be many more. Hopefully we'll be going, right, we're playing France in the final. Who are you, are you starting Christy now? <laughs> but we don't know until we get there. As you say, thank you for listening. To any new listeners... We are Perth to Paisley. I know you might not be necessarily interested in Hearts content, but for this wee while, I hope you stick around and listen to us talking about Scotland. You can get us on the socials at Perth to Paisley. We're also on YouTube. Please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Massively, massively helps out. Adam, how can all these potentially new people get you on social media? They can catch me on all the socials at Adam T. Kendall. And speaking of catching, I want to say that my dad has actually been invited on BBC Scotland's The Nine um, on, yes! on Wednesday night. Um, so check that out. Um, obviously, Wednesday, the 9th of June is my birthday. Um, and dad is on the box to talk about France 98 and bringing me home as a newborn baby and plonking me in front of uh, Scotland, Brazil. So make sure you check that out. What about yourself, mate? Well, this is just... I mean, it's a testament to how little he cares about you that he'd be rather doing that than spending time with you on his birthday. However, that is class. So please, please watch that on Wednesday. However, I am at dmciver22. We will see you next week as we review the Czech game, whatever happens, and then we will be previewing the big one, the England game. But until then, see you next time.